0: Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Is this the 8.30 service? Good morning, church. <laughs> amen and amen and amen. Well, Pastor Tafara is in the UK. Um, he was attending the Andrew Wormack um, Ministers Conference with other ministers and other pastors, and he will be back on Tuesday. And so he sends his love and his greetings, and, and he really misses you a lot. Amen. And I miss him more. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be starting a brand new series. And this series is called Living the Worry-Free Life. Note, I didn't say problem-free. Because for as long as you're in this world, you're going to have problems. You know, Jesus in John 16, verse 32, he says, In this world, we shall have tribulations. Church, in this world, we will have trials. In this world, we're going to have temptations, frustrations. But I love what Jesus says right at the end of the same verse. He says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Another translation says, be of good cheer because I've deprived the world of power to harm you. Mm. Amen. And so despite the trials, the tribulations, the temptations, the problems that the enemy will throw our way, we can be of good cheer. Amen. And we can live a life that is free of worry. Amen. Well, while I was um, preparing for the sermon, I looked up some very interesting stats on Dr. Google about stress, worry, and anxiety. And I just want to share with you some of the stats that I came across. The first one is a statistic by the World Health Organization. And this statistic cites that stress or worry is the health epidemic of the 21st century. The statistic or this um, research further on goes and says that 75% of all doctors' visits are related to stress, worry, and anxiety. And so what this means is that the people or the 75% of the people that ended up in the doctor's consultation room actually had nothing wrong with them. They simply worried themselves into the doctor's room. That's quite frightening. Another piece of research that I came across was by a research company called Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Bloomberg, a few years ago, ranked South Africa as the second most stressed out country in the world. And South Africa, get this, was behind Nigeria, but ahead of Colombia. I mean, that's quite worrying. Two African countries in the top three of the most stressed out countries in the world? Mm Mm-mm. I also read another piece of research which says in South Africa, remember, we're the second most stressed out country in the world. It says in South Africa, South Africa spends over 15, 15 rands each month on stress, worry, and anxiety-related issues. I mean, people are spending money on pills to sleep. People are spending money on pills for depression, pills for anxiety, pills for their bodies to function properly. You know, church, I don't know about you, but this is very alarming. This is very alarming. And it clearly demonstrates that our bodies, our bodies were never designed to carry worry. Our bodies were never designed to carry anxiety. And the sad reality is that today more than ever, we see more and more people in the church living with worry, living with stress, and living with anxiety. So what is worry? I looked up a dictionary definition of worry. Worry. And I, and I came across some, some interesting definitions. It says, worry is to strangle. Worry is to harass, to vex, to torment. Worry causes one to feel troubled or uneasy. And this one's quite interesting. It says, worry is to choke. I say it's interesting because worry can literally choke the life out of you. Worry can harass you. Worry can torment you. Worry can strangle you and completely paralyze you from moving forward and completely paralyze you from living your best life. And so this morning, I just want to go to the Bible. I want to, I want to, I'm going to just share with you some scripture. And and as I was preparing, God told me I must do a Bible study this morning. (laughs) So you're going to have to forgive me. We're going to go line upon line, precept upon precept. And we're going to look specifically at what three men in the Bible have to say about worry. We're also going to look and see what these three men have to say about how you can overcome the torment of worry. So that's quite exciting. And so my prayer this morning is that you, all of you here, you will take these principles that I'm about to teach you. You'll take these principles that you're going to learn this morning and you'll begin to apply them in your own lives. Amen. And as you do, you can expect to live this worry-free life, which is available for all of us as children of God. Amen. Well, let's go quickly. The first person we're going to look at is, is we're going to start off and look, looking at what Jesus had to say about worry. We're going to look at what the great master himself had to say about worry. In Matthew 6, um, verses 30, 25. Okay, we're going to start 25 to 33. We've got so much to cover. Um, I can't really give you the context before, but we're going to jump straight into Matthew 6, verse 25. We can have it in the New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking, okay? So I think we better listen up, okay? This isn't Pastor T. This isn't me. This is Jesus speaking, okay? So verse twenty-one, he, 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. I mean, Jesus just jumps into it, right? He says, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? I want you to notice one thing here. Jesus gets straight into it, right? And he says, do not worry. He doesn't say, I suggest you don't worry, right? Hey? He doesn't say, it would be a good idea if you don't worry. No, he issues an imperative. This is a, a command. He says, do not worry. And I believe the reason why he says do not worry is because Jesus knows how absolutely detrimental, not only to our health, right, the worry is. We just read South Africa alone spends 15 billion rands on a month. I mean, how many churches could we have built? 15 million rands a month on stress-related medication, etc. But not only is worry detrimental to our health, but worry is detrimental to our overall success. So Jesus says, do not worry. And he starts to list all the things that people then were worried about. And interestingly, people even now are worried about. And, and, And I love this passage of scripture because he deals with every single person in the home. He says, do not worry about what you'll eat. I mean, this is what typically men worry about, right? I know men are always hungry. And by the way, apparently the men had a really awesome fellowship. Ladies, uh, uh, MasterChef Fellowship, right? Ladies, I want to let you on on a secret, right? Our men can cook, okay? Don't be deceived. Don't buy the lie. These guys can cook. And they had pictures to prove it, okay? So he's going to cook for you tonight, okay? So it says, do not worry about what you're going to eat, and that covers them in. Then it says, do not worry about what you're gonna wear. I'm sorry, ladies, I'm throwing you under the bus. And that kind of covers the ladies. And maybe PT is included as well. <laughs> and it says, Do not worry about what you drink. I think that one covers our toddlers. I mean, how many of you have toddlers here? How many of you know that every time a toddler is about to go to bed, they want to drink water? <laughs> I don't know what school our toddlers went to. Every time it's bedtime. Mommy, I want to drink water. So he says, people worry about what you'll eat, wear, and drink. Then he starts giving an analogy in verse 26, and he starts to say, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. And he says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they I mean, this piece of scripture is just loaded with the revelation. I mean, if I could, if I really, really didn't have to teach about what the other two men had to say, I think I would have just ended here and camped out in here, okay? But we've got a lot to cover. The first uh, revelation I want you to look at is he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor do they gather into barns. My translation says sow. They neither reap or sow, or sow or reap or gather into barns. And so that's, that's really the first revelations. I mean, guys... Birds are not productive like we are. Birds don't work a job. Birds don't own a business. Birds don't have a check account. They don't have a savings account. They don't have an an investment account. Birds do not toil. I mean, when was the last time you saw a bird sitting in a tree, stressed out and worried about how am I going to feed my children? Cheap, cheap. Birds don't toil. Birds don't worry. But Jesus says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And that's really so awesome because that's a second revelation. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was the first man to say heavenly father. In fact, he didn't say heavenly God, right? You would have expected him to say heavenly God, right? Because he's really just trying to make a point here. He's saying God is not just God. He's not just some deity sitting up in heaven, far disconnected, far removed from the everyday realities of our lives. He's saying God is our heavenly father, and that was such a radical, radical revelation. Because that word father, it connotes relationship. In fact, that word father in the Greek is the word pater. It means protector. It means provider. It means nourisher. It means the one who gives security. And this one, this one really touches my heart. It actually had me crying yesterday. It means the one who cares. So God is not just a God. God is our father. And here I've got to say God is a good father. And he's not an irresponsible father. God is not a runaway dad. God is an ever-present Father. The Bible says He will never leave us, nor will He ever forsake us. God is present, and He is our Father. You know, you know. I think some of us, many people struggle with this revelation because, you know, perhaps you had a father who wasn't perfect. I mean, I certainly had a father who was a good father, but he wasn't perfect. I mean, I remember the times when he'd actually, he'd forget to pick my sister and I up at school. So we'd be sitting in the dark, (laughs) crying for our daddy because he's forgotten to pick us up from school. Maybe some of you didn't ever have a perfect father, but I'm here today to tell you that God is a perfect father. God never makes mistakes and he will never make mistakes. God is a perfect father who is perfectly able to take care of each and every single one of us perfectly. Amen. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Are are you not much more valuable? Let's go back. Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, are you not of much more value than the birds? Another translation says, are you not much more valuable than the birds? You see, church, the birds can't claim God as their father. The birds don't have a covenant relationship with God as their father. And yet, the scripture says God still feeds them. If he can feed the birds the birds that don't have a covenant relationship with God, surely he can feed us, right? Surely he can feed us because we are more valuable, right? Come on, why don't you turn to your neighbor? I want you to look at your neighbor, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say to your neighbor, I am more valuable than a bird. If God can take care of birds, he can surely take care of me. Amen, I hope you believe that, okay? Okay. Verse 27, which of you by warring can add one cubit to your stature? So he's saying, which of you by warring can grow taller? Okay, and then and he's asking really practical questions. It's a key, more, probably a rhetorical question. Which of you can by warring can grow taller? None of us, right? Which of you by warring can make progress in your life? None of us, right? Which of us by warring can get any value from it? None of us, right? I've most certainly never met a single person who's worried themselves in search solution. It just, it just doesn't happen. Amen. I like Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer, can you put up her picture? Let's see Auntie Joyce. <laughs> um, Joyce Meyer has a really awesome quote. Oh, I hope you can put it up, but it's okay if you can't. I'm going to read it. She's got a really awesome quote. Oh, there's Auntie Joyce. Can you see her beautiful red clothes? <laughs> she says, worry is like a rocking chair. Should I do my voice the uh, Joyce impersonation? The impersonation? Worry is like a rocking chair. Always in motion, but not going anywhere. You see, worry will keep you up at night. Worry will keep you up at night churning the same things over and over and over and over and over again in your mind. I mean, it's exhausting. You're working hard, it's toiling, But at the end of the day, it won't change a thing. Worrying will take you nowhere very slowly. So why do we worry? Verse 28, Jesus says, so why do you worry about clothing? Can we have it in the New King James? He says, why do you worry about clothing? Again, I think Jesus is speaking to me here yeah? <laughs> and to PT. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon... In all of his glory, was not arrayed like any one of these. So Jesus is saying, even Solomon, who is considered to be the richest person in the world, even in his label, even in his Gucci, his Versace, his Louis Vuitton, even in all of that, he was not dressed as he could never be dressed as extravagantly and as beautifully as the flowers. Then verse thirty goes: Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Because at the the heart of the matter is that worry is a faith issue. At the heart of the matter, worry is a trust issue. And so I believe what God is saying through Matthew 6 is he's saying, trust me. He's saying today, this morning, now, have faith in me. If I can clothe flowers so beautifully, if I can clothe flowers so extravagantly, if I can feed the birds of the air, I can surely clothe you better. I can surely feed you, and I can surely take care of me. He's saying, just trust me. Amen. Then verse 31, therefore, do not worry oh my word, Jesus has said, do not worry twice, okay? And I think if Jesus is going to say, do not worry, not once, but twice, I think if you weren't listening, please listen now. Okay, so Jesus says, do not worry. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Again, those things that we worry about. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 32, four after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That word for, is just, just means because, okay? So it's saying, because after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And then he ends and he says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You see, so what Jesus is saying, the Gentiles, and just what the Gentiles are, it's just another word for Gentiles, is just unbelievers, unsafe people. So he's saying, unbelievers, worry about the same things. Unbelievers worry about what they shall eat, drink, and wear. And we should not be like unbelievers who don't have a heavenly father. We shouldn't be worried about those things too, because we know our heavenly father, he's going to take care of us. That word seek um, in verse 32, so it says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That word seek is the Greek word epiziteo. It's quite an interesting word because it means to seek with all their might, with sweat, or with much stress. It is And so really what Jesus, I believe Jesus is saying is if we are going to be seeking after these things, if we're going to become so consumed and so focused on what we're going to be eating, what we're going to be drinking, what we're going to be wearing, what we're going to be driving, where children are going to be going to school, what rent, who's going to pay our rent. If we are to become so focused on these things, like non-believers in our lives, there's going to be sweat. There's going to be stress. And there is going to be worry in our lives. And so the question I asked God when I read came across the scripture, because this is how I this is how I read scripture. I read it. And I begin, I start asking questions, right? Because the Holy Spirit is your great teacher. So I said, Holy Spirit, okay, question. If we are not to worry, okay, and if we're not to be seeking after our material needs and you know focusing on how we're just gonna get by. Well, well, how are these needs going to be met, okay? And the Holy Spirit to me said to me, you haven't, just keep reading, you know, stop questioning and keep reading. And it says, go to verse 33, Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it says, all these things, what things? All those necessities of life, what you shall eat, drink, wear, etc., where your children may go to school, what they're going to wear, all of these things shall be added to you. And so what Jesus, what God wants us to do is he wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. And that word kingdom is really made up of two words. The first one is king and his dominion. So what God wants us to be doing is instead of worrying, we must seek first the king and his dominion over our lives. It also says not only should you be seeking the kingdom of God, but you should be seeking his righteousness. And that word righteousness simply means his way of doing things. Amen. Interestingly, that word seek in uh, Matthew 6.33 is actually slightly different from the word seek that we just read in Matthew 6, verse 32. It's the Greek word zeteo. And it means to hunger, to desire, to worship. And simply a hungering and a desiring for the kingdom of God. And what's so awesome is when you start seeking, hungering and pursuing God, it happens without any labor. It happens without any stress and without any sweat. Amen. So God not only wants you to hunger for and pursue him, um, and to honor his kingdom, the scripture says he wants you to do this first. And that word first just speaks of priorities. Amen. So really, in, to summarize what this, this passage of scripture is saying, it's saying instead of worrying, prioritize God. Instead of worrying, um, keep your eyes focused on the kingdom. And he says, as you do, church, God will supernaturally take care of all the things that you have need of in your life. And here I've got to say, when God begins to take care of you, it's not going to be shabby because God is not El Chipo. God is El Shaddai, and he can take care of you much better than you could ever take care of yourself. You know, I always share a story um, about when PT and I moved out of our little small little flat where we used to sit on one little couch and have life group on one. We actually had one couch in this flat. I mean, it was a little bit pitiful. It was really small. And God had started to really bless us with a much bigger house. But now we needed furniture for this house, right? And, and so we did all our calculations. And by our estimations, it was probably going to take us about 10 years <laughs> to get all the furniture for the house. And I think compounded to all of this was that we were expecting our very first child. So there were even more expenses associated with this. Then compounded to this, God had started speaking to PT about moving into, full t- into ministry full time. Because um, prior to this, he was working both as a business development manager and he was also pastoring the church. But because the church was so small, I mean, P.T. had to take quite a drastic pay cut. And because the church was so small, he also got paid on the 50th of each month. So if anyone had any reason to be worried, it it was us. So we worried ourselves, silly. I mean, we were miserable, guys. And here we were preaching, right? But, hey, don't look at me so holy. Okay? Um, You know, we are getting there. We have most certainly left... But here, at th- that time, we were not there. <laughs> okay, so we were miserable, and we knew that we needed to just do something differently. And so together in, in, in prayer, um, God started to tell us and teach us these principles, and we began to take our focus off of our needs, and we began to put our focus on God. We began to spend more time in His Word, prioritizing His Word in our thoughts, and in even our, the very words that we spoke. Amen. We began to really seek God, prioritizing Him in our giving, in our finances, in our marriage, in our lives. And I'd like to say it took two months and things were sorted, but it didn't. Slowly and but surely, we, 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 we were able to see God's goodness over our lives. I mean, there were many testimonies that really came out of this. But the one that I want to share with you is this. A good friend of ours um, came to our church. She doesn't come to our church. She came to our church. And after service, she ran up to us and she said, God started speaking to her about giving away her furniture. And this woman had just bought new furniture. And this woman, most of you probably know her. She's not shabby. She picks the most, she's got really good taste. And here she was, under the instruction of God, giving us all the furniture we needed. In fact, it was more than enough. It was enough furniture to probably furnished five bedrooms and we didn't have five bedrooms at that time. But God can take care of you better than you can take care of ourselves. And I don't believe that God did this for us because we are pastors. I believe that God is not a respecter of persons. If he can do this for us, he can most certainly do this for you. So for those taking down notes, stop worrying. Stop worrying and stop seeking after things, but seek first the kingdom of God. Let's go quickly and see what Peter has to say about the matter. Peter, go with me quickly to 1 Peter 5, and we're going to read verses 6 to, I think 6 and 7. We don't really have much time. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. Peter speaking. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, God has no problem with you being exalted. God has no problem with you being promoted. In fact, promotion is a godly thing. But what God has a problem with you with is you doing it the wrong way. Another thing I want you to pay attention to is this scripture says, humble yourselves. In other words, you do the humbling. Because the fact, the truth of the matter is, if someone else has to humble you, that's not humbling. That's humiliation. And so God, in his great love, says, you humble yourselves. And this scripture, well, I think it was the King James, but it's fine, it's fine. King James, the original King James, um, ends this passage of Scripture with a semicolon. So what Apostle Peter is about to tell you is he's about to tell you exactly what humility or true biblical or true Christian humility is. Because contrary to what many people believe, true biblical and Christian humility is not wearing long flowing clothes up to your ankles, up to the knees, uh, scraping on the grass. True Christian humility is not women not wearing makeup, not wearing earrings, Hey, There's actually a a really cool Bible teacher who says, you know, if your barn needs painting, paint it, okay. (laughs) So true Christian humility is not wearing makeup. You're going to get it later, okay. It's not wearing makeup. You can wear makeup, ladies, and you can wear earrings, okay. True Christian humility is not driving a beaten up, rickety, battered, embarrassing, jalopy, breaking down car. God, uh, Peter, in 1 um, uh, Peter 5, verse 7, oopsie, I probably should edit that one. <laughs> he said, he begins to describe what true Christian humility is. And he says, it's casting all of your care upon him, who? Upon God, because he cares for you. And so what is humility? Humility is putting our trust and our complete dependence on God and not on ourselves. Amen. True biblical humility is being God focused and not self-centered because the truth of the matter is self-centeredness is really the source of all grief. When we focus on ourselves and what we can do for ourselves, it's going to bring all kinds of grief sorrow, worry, and anxiety in our lives. In fact, 1 Peter 5 verse 7 is a direct quotation from Psalm 55 verse 22. Let's just go there quickly. Psalm 55 verse 22. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. It says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Wow, what a promise. And I completely receive that. Amen. It says, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. You see, church, when we give our cares to God, when we give our burdens to God, the Bible says that God himself will sustain us. Amen. You see, the only person who can truly cast their burdens to God is a person who's God focused, is a person who knows that God, not the government Not their spouse, not their husband, not their wife, not their job, not their business. But God and God alone is their source. You see, because when you think that you're your own source, yeah, it's going to be tricky, right? When you think you're your own source, you're going to run into worry, fear, anxieties. Okay, so Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Can we just go back quickly to 1 Peter 5 verse 7? And we're going to read it in the Amplified because I think it, it just Amplified Classic if you can. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 in the Amplified Classic, because it just amplifies the scripture a little bit more. I know it's gonna take a little bit of time to get this. so I'm gonna read it. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 in the Amplified Classic, it says, casting the whole of your care, and then it says in brackets, what are these cares? It says, all of your anxieties. It says, all of your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares for you affectionately, and he cares about you watchfully. And so that word cast, it simply means to forcefully thrust. And once we've cast our cares to God, we think, effectively what we're saying is, God, here's the situation. You know better than I do. You are better than I am. You can take care of it. Amen. So we are to forcefully thrust our cares onto God. And the scripture here says the whole of our cares. In other words, we're not to cast 50% of our cares to God. We're not to cast God to God, maybe the small cares, and, and keep the large cares because, you know, Daddy God might not be able to handle the large cares. You know, I might bake his back with my large cares. No, it says, cast the whole of your cares. And then it says something that's really powerful. It says, cast the whole of your cares once and for all. Because here's the thing, church. Once you've cast your cares to God, don't take it back. Don't take it back. It's no longer yours. It's now God's to handle. Amen. I've got a bit of an illustration I want to um, show you this morning. Um, See, I've got six minutes. Henry, can I have you up? Okay. You are God for this illustration only. You're not God, but you're God for this illustration only. Okay. Cliff, you are the devil. But only for this illustration, okay? Chido, he's not the devil, okay? He's just the devil for this illustration, okay? Cliff, if you can come and help me with all these bags, because all these bags are really cares, right? And the cares originate, and, and anxious thoughts originate from the devil himself, okay? So the devil has got all these cares um, that he wants to throw onto me, and um, there are various cares that he, that, that, that he um, throws onto us. Um, some of them are, I think this will be our rent cares, eh? So this is rent cares, okay? But we're going to just do this nicely. Okay, throw me the rent care, okay? Or, or give me the rent care. Okay, this is rent care. First Peter 5 verse 7, what does it say? It says, as soon as you get these worries, what should you do? Cast them unto God. Why? Because he cares for you. He can take them, take care of them for you. Okay, so this is what we need to do. We need to cast it. I'm not going to throw it because I don't want Bertha to be angry if I hit you. Okay, what's this one? Sheesh, this one's mortgage worries. Okay. Well, as soon as I get it, I'm going to cast it onto you, okay? And that's really what we should do. As soon as these anxious thoughts come, as soon as these worries come, we need to cast them to God. This one's children's worry. This is how am, I ch- how am I going to pay school fees for my children? No, this is not my worry. I'm going to give it to God, okay? So that, that is what should happen, right? But the reality is that doesn't happen, okay? This is typically what happens, right? So the devil comes and he's, he's giving me these cares, sure, this one's job kiss. I don't have a job. I'm never going to have a job. I think I'm just going to hold on to this one because I think it's, what's this one? Doctor's report. Okay. This is doctor's report worry. I think I'm going to hold on to this one because I think I can probably take care of this one. What's this one here? This one is um, <laughs> losing my job worry. Mm. I don't think God can handle this one. I'm actually just going to take care of this one. And you know what? God, you know what? I think I'm just going to take my cares back, okay? Because I just don't think, I think I can take care of them. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. So we're supposed to be casting them onto God, but instead we choose to carry them. Now here's why God doesn't want you to carry these worries. Go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, and we're going to look at it in the NLT. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 in the NLT. You. These bags are heavy. These cares are war heavy. Okay, this is why God doesn't want us to be carrying these cares. 1 Corinthians 9.24 in the NLT, it says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run, to win. Here's the thing, church. Every one of us here is a runner. In fact, in the Bible, it says, God has set before us a divinely ordained race. That each and every single one of us is meant to run with purpose and with passion. Because that running, that word running is just a, it's a posture of passion. But what would, what would you do if I showed up to the Comrades Marathon? Jeez, I'm even breathing hard because these bags are so heavy. If I showed up to the Comrades Marathon carrying all these bags. If I showed up to the Comrades Marathon, I'm about to run 90Ks, right? It's 90Ks, right? And I'm carrying all these bags. What's the first thing you'd tell me? Well, leave my bags, right? And why would you tell me that? Because how can I run with all of this stuff, right? I'm probably going to injure myself. I'm probably going to get hurt at the 3K mark and not be able to finish my race. I want to I win my race. And so if I want to win my race, I'm going to need to get rid of the bags. Amen. And so that's why God doesn't want us to carry these bags. That is why God says that we must lay aside every weight of sin that so easily besets us. And we must run our race. Run the divinely ordained race that God has set before us. Amen. So as quickly as we get these worries, we must fling them unto God. I love this one, eh? This one, um, God, this is the man that you gave me. It frustrates me. It frustrates me. Hear that he leaves his socks two centimeters from the washing basket. But I'm not going to be worried about it, God. It's your man. You're going to take care of him. Okay? You're going to take care of him. Oh, gosh. How am I going to take this one off? <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's um, do this. Okay. Let's jump out of these. Oh, my word. This is not going as smooth as I, as I had anticipated. I probably should have practiced this. Okay. So, you're going to cast all of these cares to God. This one's rent. This one's, this one's um, bank account worry. My bank account is saying to me, it's the 3rd of November. I have more month than I have money. Lord, I refuse to carry this care. You say in your word, you shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. And this is what you do with all these cares. One by one by one by one. We're not done yet. Because what happens is, even when you've cast the cares to God, the enemy doesn't give up, right? He doesn't want you to win the race. And so he'll start to whisper and he'll start to say to you, you know what, why don't you just take back that uh, husband, <laughs> worry. Really make a big deal about it and worry about, worry about it, right? And this is, this is what I do. So I'm going to teach you something here. This is what I personally do. It's not a doctrine, so don't make a doctrine out of it. But when the enemy comes and he begins to tempt me to take my worries back, I, beca- <laughs> I begin to get very vocal, okay? And I begin to say to him, no. I have cast my care onto God because he cares for me. I have cast the whole of my cares to God. If you have an issue, you go speak to God. I'm living the worry-free life. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Okay, you can go back. Sheesh, those were quite heavy. And so for those taking notes, before we close, cast the whole of your care to God. It says once and for all because he cares for you affectionately. God cares, guys. God cares. If there's nothing else that you get out of the service, God cares. And he wants you to cast that burden to him so that he can take care of you, so that he can bring solutions to your problem, so that he can give you his perfect peace. Amen. Amen. And God watches over us carefully. And so as we close, we just want to look at what Paul has to say in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8 in the New Living Translation. And Paul has some very interesting takeaways um, Uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8 in the New Living Translation. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Here we go again. (laughs) I don't know how simple it really has to be. I mean, guys, if we are to misinterpret that scripture, we're really going to have to hire someone and pay them enough overtime to get them to help us misinterpret that because it is really that clear. Paul is saying, do not worry about anything. And he says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So Paul is saying, pray about it. If it's going to worry you, pray about it. Because the reality is that prayer is what gets God onto the situation. It's Prayer is what gets God working on your issues. So pray about it. And then Paul says something that's really powerful. He says, be thankful. He says, thank God for what you've done. You know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 23. And the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he says, dot, 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 he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I, I've, I, for years, I've wondered, how on earth can a rod and a staff comfort someone walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Until I researched in history, and this is actually very true, in the olden days, they didn't have journals. They didn't have diaries to record how faithful and how good and how awesome God had been to them. And so every time that God um, was good, every time that God had been faithful to them, they would lift up their rods and they'd make a mark on their rods as a, as a memorial, as, as, a, as a way to remember. So every time God healed them, they'd make a mark on the rod. Every time God delivered them, they'd make another mark on the rod. Every time God protected them, they'd make another, another mark. Every time God fed them, they'd make a mark on the rod. And so as they walked through the valley of darkness, as they walked through challenges, as they walked through evil, as they walked through death. And, and I love that scripture because it says you walk through it. You don't camp in problems. You don't camp in challenges. You don't camp in death, amen. You walk through it. But as as the children of Israel walked through this valley, all they would have to do is lift up that rod. All they'd have to do is lift up their staff and they would be so thankful because they would remember how good and how faithful and how awesome God had been to them, amen. And so Apostle Paul says, be thankful thank God for what he's done in your life. Because church, when you are thankful, it literally thrusts you into a place of peace. When we are thankful, it positions us to receive and to access God's perfect peace, which passes all understanding. And the next verse says, then you will experience God's peace. Amen. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, which will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 8, it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And so as I end this message today, I want to leave you with this one final thing. Instead of worrying, Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true. That word fix just means focus. So focus all your thoughts on what is true. And I want to tell someone here today that what is true about your health, is that by the stripes that wounded Jesus, you are healed. I want to tell someone here this morning what is true about your bills is that God, He will liberally and He will amply supply and provide. He will fill to the full, like Pastor Henry read, all of your needs according to your riches and glory. You see, facts, facts may say something different, but there are two differences between facts and truth, right? Facts are subject to change. But the truth, which is only found in the Word of God, is eternal. And so what Apostle Paul is saying is that as you fix your mind on that which is true, as you fix your minds on the Word of God, on the truth of the Word of God, and as you superimpose that truth on the facts, the facts Will have no choice but to change. Amen. And so as we close, Apostle says, and fix your thoughts on those things that are honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. He says, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why don't we get up on our feet? Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit FaithHill.tv today.